Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Tonight, I want to do this video. I realize it's absolutely ambitious to try to do three, cover three false religions and uh, you know, a summary about them in just an hour, but we're going to do our best. I want to make sure that we do this with love, with honor, with integrity. My goal tonight is not to bash on these false religions, which I'm going to show you tonight are false religions, but my goal is to share the truth. Deception is strong. Deception is real. And here's the biggest issue with deception. You don't know you're being deceived. If you knew you were being deceived, it would not be deception. And right now, there are thousands of Mormons getting saved, thousands of Jehovah's Witnesses getting saved in these days, and there's thousands of Muslims that are having dreams and visions of Jesus. So there is a real strong movement happening right now. There's real revival happening right now in these communities. But then also the flip side is these movements are also growing. The deception is also growing. So my goal is not to do an hour and a half, two hours deep dive onto every single doctrine, every single thing, every, but I'm going to give you the history of them. I'm going to give you what Christians believe and what they believe, and then I'm gonna give you some dangers, and then at the very end, we're not just gonna end with, these are bad, don't follow these, these are false, you're being deceived. At the very end, I'm gonna give you seven simple reasons why Christianity is the true religion, why it's not because I want it to be, not because I'm a Christian, I'm gonna give you seven reasons why Christianity is the truth. So whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you're going to get value from this tonight because I'm going to give you some tools at the end, but also many of you have no clue what Mormons believe. You have no clue what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. You have no clue what um, Islam teaches or what Muslims believe. And so we're going to give you information to help you share your faith with them. But then also you might not even know what you believe as a Christian. You might not even know what you believe when it comes to the Trinity or salvation or Jesus or God or the afterlife. So I'm going to also share what Christians believe to give some of you ammo, to give some of you fuel, so some of you know exactly what we're going to talk about. And also, I want to make something clear. We are not going to go into radical Islam. We're not going to go into the radical side of Mormonism. We're not going to go into the radical. We're going to go into the nominal, what they teach. There's stuff when it comes to Islam I can't talk about on live because we'll get our video taken down because it's extremely graphic. Some of radical Islam's beliefs. So we're not going to go into that super, super graphic stuff to get our video taken down because we literally will get it taken down while we're live. But we're going to go into what nominal Muslims teach and believe, what nominal Mormons teach and believe, what their doctrine teaches. Again, you might say, why well, I have a Mormon friend that doesn't believe that. Well, maybe they're not truly Mormon or I have a friend that's Muslim. They don't believe that. Well, I'm going by what they teach in their scripture and their Quran and in their other teachings, the Book of Mormon, not by what they are, because there's a lot of Christians that don't live the Christian life, but they don't represent us properly. So maybe a Christian doesn't believe in hell and they say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in hell. Well, we teach hell. The Bible teaches hell. So do you guys see the difference here between what we believe and what the religion actually teaches? So maybe you say, well, I'm Muslim and I don't believe that. Well, I'm going to teach what your religion teaches, not what necessarily you believe, because there's a ton of lukewarm Christians that don't represent Christ properly, that don't believe in repentance, that don't believe in hell, that don't believe in miracles, and they are a bad representation of what the Bible actually talks about. And again, deception strong in these last days. What does the Bible say to do? It says that we need to expose these works. We're not bashing on them or dunking on them. We are exposing the works. And I pray that if you're in these communities, that you would ask the Lord to open your eyes. You're obviously searching for truth. If you're a Muslim in here tonight, you're obviously seeking God. You're obviously seeking truth. It's just in the wrong place. It's the wrong God. 
if you are a Mormon in here, you're obviously seeking after some type of righteous life. It's just not the way. And I'm going to tell you why. And then I'm going to tell you why Christian is the true religion. So what is the definition of a cult? I know the video is exposing cults. In modern English, a cult is a social group that's defined as unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs and rituals or common interest in particular personalities, objects, or goals. So yes, I 100% believe Islam is a cult. I believe Mormonism is a cult. I believe Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower Society is a cult. I absolutely believe these things. Here's what you guys have to remember. When it comes to light and darkness, it's not like Christianity's here and then like Mormons here or Islam's down here and then like Catholic. It's not Christianity then all the other ones are ranked. It's true or it's false. Everything else is that's false is not of God. It's not a lower ranking. There's no rankings. It's you're either of the truth or you're either of deception and of a false religion. And again, at the end, stay with me. I'm going to give you seven reasons why Christianity is the truth. I'm not just going to tell you from my experience. I'm going to give you seven definitive reasons. But that's what you have to remember when it comes to talking about cults, talking about deception, we are not just talking about over here like, well, you know, we have Christianity and then there's a lower ranking Christianity because again, Mormons will call themselves Christians. So it's not like lower ranking Mormons, lower ranking this. It's either you're of the truth or you're deceived. And the Bible says there's two fathers. There's God the Father and there's Satan who is who is a father. So if you're not serving God, the truth, Jesus Christ of the Bible, the only living God, then you are in deception. Don't get mad. Just stay with me listening here because I believe God wants to open up your eyes. So we're going to start by, again, the history, what they believe compared to Christianity, and then some of, you know, and as we go into that, we'll talk about the dangers as well. But we are going to start with Mormons. So Mormons would be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or you might know them as the Mormon Church or the LDS Church. Mormons consider themselves Christians, if you didn't know, even though, according to the New Testament, they are not considered Christians. They claim to have around, again, this is going to be information heavy tonight, 17 million members. Listen to this, 55,000 full-time missionaries. And here's what blows my mind. Mormons will go two-year missions going door-to-door sharing their faith. And I'm going to just go ahead and speak to Christians here in a minute, right here. And they have something that is not true and they're sharing a gospel that's not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, as Christians, we struggle to share our faith with our own family members. We struggle to share our faith with people. We won't even talk about God hardly when we're at church. And let alone these other religions. We're going to even see Islam. They pray five times a day. And many of us in the church don't pray at all. So I want to also challenge many of you Christians watching this. How is it possible that we have the living God, the God that saves, that delivers, that heals, that is Emmanuel, the one that is among us, that gives us his Holy Spirit, and yet Muslims are praying five times a day, and Mormons are going door-to-door sharing their faith for two years of their life, and we struggle to share our faith with anybody. So let us be challenged by these zealous disciplines. But how many of you know you can be zealously disciplined and still not be of the truth? So let's talk about, we're talking about more the Mormon church, if you're jumping on, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's talk about the founder, okay? Joseph Smith, born on December 23rd, 1805 in Sharon, Vermont. When Joseph Smith was a child, his family moved to Palmyra in Western New York, where there was a lot of revivalism and religious fervor due to the Second Great Awakening. So the Second Great Awakening had happened, and there was revival going on, there was religious fervor. Here you have Joseph Smith right there in New York. The wild enthusiasm and the many denominations 
present confused Smith. He ended up being confused from all the denominations, all the different beliefs, which still happens today, by the way. And he was uncertain of how to worship or what to believe. So this was a confused young man, a confused individual. Again, I'm getting these off of the Mormons website. I'm getting this information from them, not making this up. This is the history of the, the Mormon church. As he writes in the Pearl of Great Price, which is a book they considered sacred, he said, in process of time, my mind became somewhat partial to the Methodist sect, and I felt some desire to be united with them, but so great were the confusion and strife among the different denominations that it was impossible for a young person as I to be unacquainted with men and things to come to any conclusion on what was right and wrong. So we see from the founding of the Mormon church, you have Joseph Smith who was confused about what to believe. He wanted to side with the Methodists, but there was too many conflicting opinions, too many denominations, too much religious fervor at the time. Here's this young man confused about what he's going to believe. In 1820, in the time of confusion, Smith reads James 1.5, which instructs us if we lack wisdom to request it from God. He immediately withdrew to a wooded area near his home to pray for wisdom. And it was at that point that he recalls having a vision of a pillar of light coming down from heaven and God the Father and Jesus his son standing above him in the air. Smith asked them of which denomination or sect were right or wrong and what should he join. He was told that all the denominations are evil and corrupt. It was at that time and that experience that Smith became convinced that he'd been called by God as God's prophet. On September 21st, 1823, while praying in his room, he received an angelic vision and this angel named Moroni told him that he'd been chosen by God for a great work. So here he is, he's praying in his room and an angel comes and says, you've been chosen for a great work. Joseph Smith said, Joseph Smith said was a resurrected being who died close to the Smith area in New York about 1400 years earlier. Moroni, Joseph Smith asserted, had buried in New York, had buried in New York in the Hill Camorra a record of his people who lived in the American continent from about 600 BC to 421 AD. That record Joseph Smith told would be given to him to translate. So now he's given this old record of history that Joseph Smith, the angel is going to give him to translate. Years later, Joseph Smith said that he received the written record on golden plates in reformed Egyptian language that no one could understand. He was also told not to show the golden plates to every anyone, but that sometime later, a few people would be given the privilege to view them. Again, this is the founding of the church LDS, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or what we call usually Mormons. The angel told Smith about a book written upon golden plates that had been buried alongside the Urim and the Thummim of the Old Testament, which I'll tell you what those are in a second. Smith immediately found this book and using the Urim and Thummim, um, Thummim, translated it and published this book from these scroll from these tablets he was given he published the book in 1830 as the book of mormon this was the same year that he organized the church of jesus christ of the latter-day saints and then he gave the plates back to the angel so you say well what did he use to translate it? the urimin the urim and the thummin the urim which is light and the thummin which is perfections were gemstones that were carried by the high priest of israel on the ephod these were the priestly garments. They wore an ephod with a bunch of gemstones. So he claims to have found those two gemstones and these would be used for the high priest to determine the will of God in the Old Testament. He finds them and uses them to distinguish this or these gold plates to translate them into a known language because they were some type of encrypted Egyptian language. A commanding and gregarious figure, Smith began to amass followers. As the mo Now, let me just stop and say this. If you are a Mormon, I just don't understand how you listening to, to the founding of your own church makes any logical sense to you. 
Here you have a guy that's in New York in the middle of a revival going on in the Methodist church, decides he doesn't want to join any denomination, has a vision of an angel, the angel, a vision of Jesus and the father. They say everyone else is wrong, but here I'm going to give you, and then an angel comes and says, I'm going to give you tablets that only you can translate. Nobody else can see them. I'm going to give them for you to translate them. And then you're going to give them back to the angel. And then I'm going to start a book and start a following. And they believe that is the true church. That's the resurrected true church that we're preaching a false gospel. Smith began to amass uh, followers as the movement grew and, and migrated west in large part because their teaching was not welcome in most places and often was opposed with threats of violence. Smith first moved, this is Joseph Smith, to Ohio, then to Missouri, then to Illinois. So he's moving all over the place. As the movement grew, it required more and more revelations, of course, like any movement does. We need more revelation, more new teachings. And Smith rece received revelations as needed. So now we need new revelation. He's receiving new revelation. There's a whole documentary about how many of the Mormon um, documents were forged. They were literally created, made up, and sold in high markets. There's a whole documentary on Netflix about, I think it's called uh, Death Among the Mormons or something like that. Murder Among the Mormons. And they talk about how literally all these Mormon documents were forged documents that they were making. Go watch the documentary. They were literally making these documents and selling them at a high price. They were completely man-made documents. And a lot of the Mormon church is founded on these documents, okay? So, it says, he kept receiving more revelations. These revelations continued until his death, and they were compi compiled into a book referred to as the Doctrine and the Covenants. There was strife within the Mormon church, and in the spring of 1844, it led to threats of violence between Smith and the others in the town of Na Nauvoo, Illinois. The governor intervened, imprisoned Joseph Smith until he could stand trial. Before this could happen, an armed mob stormed the jailhouse where he was being kept, and Smith was shot and killed while trying to escape out of a window. So, again... The corruption in the Mormon church or the LDS, the Church of Latter-day Saints, it started in corruption. It started in deception. It started with a young, confused man that said, I want to, you know, have the right way. And an angel came to me and told me that this is the way. Everybody else is wrong. What you're going to see tonight in these other two cults we cover is it's always everybody else is wrong. I have the true revelation. I have the true answer. And it deviates from the word of God. And in fact, the three false religions we're talking about tonight, they all regard the word of God as being true and as being a holy book. So just because you believe the word of God, the problem is you add on to the word of God. So they add on the Jehovah Witnesses, they add on to it. The Islam adds on another book. Uh, Mormons add on another book. So here's where the deception lies when man starts creating their own books and calling it doctrine. Joseph Smith put his authority above the authority of scripture. Huge, huge problem with cult leaders. He added his own revelation to the Bible's revelation and took upon himself to claim or claim to fix the errors in scripture. This is what the aim of the book of Mormon was to do, was to fix what was wrong with scripture and for him to create his own doctrine. Smith believed that the Bible was corrupt and insufficient. And for that reason, it took away he took away and added to God's written revelation regarding the Bible as corrupt. This is what Joseph Smith said. I believe the Bible as it's read when it comes from the pen of original writers, ignorant translators, and careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. These errors were both type, typographical and doctrinal, and to address the Bible's shortcomings, he produced his own translations of the Bible in addition to a variety of Old Testament and New Testament books. He also claimed that his own revelation from God was the only access point to the true gospel that had apparently been lost. Mormon historian Richard Bushman says the signal feature of Joseph Smith's life was his sense of being guided by revelation. 
He placed himself above all previous revelations and interpretations of the Bible, and he placed himself above Christ himself. Joseph Smith claimed that he received many revelations from God and began to introduce many new doctrines into the church. One of the doctrines was polygamy, a practice that Smith denied publicly, but practiced secretly. So secretly, he was involved in polygamy, but denied it publicly. And the doctrine was the downfall because his killing resulted in a polygamy, was a result of a polygamy controversy. Okay. I want you to listen to this quote from Joseph Smith. This is President Joseph Fielding Smith. This is the president of the, I'm sorry, this is not of the Joseph Smith that we're talking about. This is President Joseph Fielding Smith, different guy. He was the president of the LDS church in the early 1970s. And this is what he said. Mormonism must stand and fall on this story of Joseph Smith. He was either a prophet of God, divinely called, properly appointed and commissioned, or he was one of the biggest frauds this world has ever seen. There's no middle ground. If Joseph was a deceiver who willfully attempted to mislead people, then he should be exposed and his claims should be refuted and his doctrine should be shown as false. And that's from the Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, pages 188 through 189. And that's Joseph Fielding Smith, who was the president of the LDS Church in the early 1970s. So this guy says, if Joseph Smith was a deceiver, he should be exposed, his claims refuted, and his doctrine shown to be false, which is what we are doing tonight. The Mormon church started with Joseph Smith being told by God, all the other churches are wrong and you're the only one that's going to have the true revelation. This is a red flag when everybody else is wrong and I'm the only right one, that's going to be a red flag. And that's where many cults spring up and they start taking you from the word of God. They change the word of God and they say, this started to sound like the book of Genesis. Are you sure that's what God said? They actually changed the literal word of God. Are you sure God said, don't do this? Are you sure God said, don't go there? Are you sure God said you can't eat of the fruit? This is this not what happened in the garden. Are you sure, Adam? Are you sure, Eve? This is where these cults start. When the devil comes in like a snake and starts lying and creating false corrupt doctrines. So now we're going to talk about the difference between Mormon beliefs and Christian beliefs. Okay. So we're going to go through, I'm going to give you 10 differences between what Christians believe and what Mormons believe. So you can get a full dive into what the Mormons actually believe and what they teach. So number one, the difference on doctrine. Christianity's view on doctrine is we believe that the doctrine of God, which is called theology, means the study of God. If you don't know what theology is, theology is the study of God. Theo is God and ology is the study of something. So anything that ends in ology means the study of what was previous. So theology is the study of God. The Bible teaches and Christians believe. This is what we believe. And remember, you might be a Christian here saying, I already know this, but there's a lot of non-Christians in here tonight. I could see them in the chat. So just bear with me because I'm going to talk about what we believe. The Bible teaches and Christians believe in one God who is a creator of heaven and earth. He's sovereign, omniscient, self-existent, and immutable. means he doesn't change and good in all things. Christians also believe that God is triune, that God is and has eternally existed in three persons. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these are orthodox Christian beliefs. Everything I'm sharing with you is something I believe. These are orthodox views. The Mormons. So now what are the Mormons view on doctrine? Mormonism views about God very widely throughout history. In the early years, Mormon leader um, Brigham Young taught that Adam was the father of the spirit of Jesus and that Adam is God. Mormons today do not believe this and many have disputed whether this was properly understood. Mormons indisputably teach a doctrine called eternal progression, okay? They teach that God was once a man and was capable of physical death. But God, who is a man, progressed to become God the Father and that Mormons teach we can also become gods. This is Mormon doctrine, okay? So God the Father was a human. He progressed 
through eternal progression and became a God himself. And now you Mormons, this is what they teach, us Mormons can become gods in our own way by the process of eternal progression. Mormons believe that gods, angels, people, and devils are fundamentally of the same substance, but are merely at different places in the eternal progression. So angels, angels, demons, people, gods, which they believe in a pantheon of gods, multiple gods, you can be a god, I can be a god. They believe that they're all the same substance, so the natures aren't different. We believe like we all have different natures. An angel has a different divine nature than a human has. God has a different nature than we have. Mormons believe everybody has the same nature, whether you're a demon, an angel, a person, a god. We're just all on a different plane of eternal progression. I'm trying to make this very, very simple for you guys tonight. So that's what they believe on doctrine. What do they believe, number two, on the deity of Christ? Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. When Jesus was born, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1.14. I'm going to give you a lot of verses tonight. Christians hold that Christ has existed eternally and is truly God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So all of God, Jesus is not a part, just like, oh, he's just a sliver of peace. Jesus is God, creator God, Jesus being the second member of the Trinity. Um, Mormons teach that Jesus is pre-existent, but he's also pre-mortal. His also pre-mortal form was not as God. Rather, Jesus is our elder brother. Listen to this. This is what they teach. I'm getting this from their stuff. Jesus is our elder brother from the great star Kalab. Kalab, I don't know how to say that. Mormons explicitly deny the full deity of jesus christ so they do not believe anywhere close to what we believe that jesus is god jesus is the son of god and jesus became flesh john 1 14 is dwelling among us colossians 2 19 for in him christ the fullness of the uh godhead dwells okay mormons again jesus elder brother from the great star Kalab. and i i could make a gesture on that and i could make a joke there but i won't because i want to be respectful to people that are in here that are mormons so i won't i won't make any jokes or any cheap shots or low blows we're just going to give it to them straight here okay number three their view on the trinity christians believe that god is three persons in one triune he's god consisting of the father the son and the holy spirit therefore we baptize according to matthew 28 19 in the name of the father son and the holy spirit that's what matthew 28 19 teaches mormons believe when it comes to the doctrine of the trinity it's a false and pagan notion mormons view the godhead as similar to the first presidency of the church that is the father is god and jesus and the holy spirit as the president's two counselors so jesus and the holy spirit are not god to mormons they are the two counselors to the president who is the father joseph smith joseph smith decreed the biblical understanding of god on his sermon on june 16th 1844 days before his death this is what he said days before his death during a sermon many men say there is one god the father the son and the holy ghost are only one god i say that is a strange god anyhow three in one and one in three so joseph smith his own words in his sermon denied the existence of the trinity the triune godhead and remember joseph smith is around during a methodist revival going on a christian revival happening so he's battling these ideologies and these things that christians teach like the trinity it is a curious organization i'm going to cite from one of his teachings it is a curious organization all are to be crammed into one god according to sectarianism it could make the it it could make the biggest god in all of the world he would be wonderfully a big god he would be a giant or a monster and that's cited from the what's called the teachings page 372. so the the idea of the trinity is he's a monster he's too much how could three gods be packed into one 
He resisted this idea. Number four, differences. Salvation. Christians believe that salvation is a free gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And we believe a person is justified by faith alone. Somebody type faith alone in the chat. We are justified by faith alone based on Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross. Romans 5, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that it helps develop endurance and diver, develop, uh, endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confidence and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we are utterly helpless, Note what he says here, Paul says, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. So the Bible teaches that we are sinful and unable to save ourselves. That's Romans chapter one through three. Therefore, God intervened by sending Jesus. Jesus dies and now we are reconciled back to God and we're in right relationship with God. Mormons hold to a very complex and distinct systems of views on salvation. On one level, Mormons believe in universal salvation for all people through the work of Jesus. This is often referred to as universal or general salvation that's in Mormon literature. On an individual level, Mormons believe that salvation is acquired through gospel obedience. That is faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, and successfully completing the mortal probation by living a righteous life. Together, this enables them to progress into eternal progression. So mortal, that word sounds complicated, where I talked about mortal probation, it's like, if I'm a human right now as a Mormon, I'm in mortal probation. I'm immortal. But if I do good things, if I repent, if I fear God, if I do my mission, if I live through faith, if I receive the Holy Spirit, if I do all the good things that Mormonism teaches that I should do, give money and everything else, then I can succeed up that ladder of eternal progression into one day becoming my own God. So you wonder why Mormons so fervently share their faith and go and do works because they believe that's making them in eternal progression when they die They'll progress into a God or into the next level and the next life And that's why they work so hard is because they believe in eternal progression number five the Holy Spirit Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and such he has a personality and he existed eternally He is and always has been God. So the Holy Spirit's not just like a side thing. The Holy Spirit is God. He has a personality He's definitely a person Mormons, by contrast, believe the Holy Spirit, who they refer to as the Holy Ghost, which is Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. Ghost means spirit, so it doesn't matter, but became God in pre-existence through the eternal progression. If you're confused, welcome to the Church of Latter-day Saints, okay? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost became God in pre-existence through eternal progression. They do affirm the Holy Spirit's personality. Mormon teacher Bruce McConkie denied that the Holy Spirit could possibly be omnipresent. And I want you to remember this as well. Mormons deny that the Father and the Son are omnipresent as well. Very important. Mormons do not believe in the omnipresence, the omniscience of God, that God is all everywhere at all times. God is omnipresent. They don't believe that. The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, they don't believe is and we of course as christians do believe number six the atonement christians hold the atonement was god's gracious work in christ who stood in the place for a sinful man and absorbed the penalty for sin second corinthians 5 21 for god made christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we may be made right with god first john 2 2 for god made christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with god through christ so basically 
the Christian believes that Christ's work on the cross satisfied God's justice and allowed man to be reconciled through God. Mormons believe, and it's again very complex and changing often, their view of atonement, 3rd Nephi 8-9, through which is in the Book of Mormon, teaches that Jesus brought death and destruction with the cross and that his death on the cross meant wrath and destruction for historical cities like Mockham, Anaham, ETC. Okay, so they believe that Jesus, through his death on the cross, brought destruction and death to multiple cities. And Mormons explicitly deny that the atonement is our basis for salvation. They deny that explicitly. Now, number seven, the church. What do Mormons and Christians believe? Christians believe that Christians make up the true church. Theologians refer to this as the invisible church or the universal church. We say when you get saved, you become part of God's global universal church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1-2, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all together, we are the global church of Jesus Christ. Christians also believe that local churches are, are, are a group of true Christians who voluntarily come together to worship. It's Romans 16-5. This is what we believe. Mormons... Since the very beginning, the Mormons rejected all other churches outside the Mormon church. At various times, Mormon leaders and teachers have referred to the Christian church as the church of the devil or the church of abomination. And you can see that first Nephi 14, 9 through 10, we are considered the church of the abomination. Today, though, many Mormons would never say that or believe that. But historically, in sacred texts, the Christian church was viewed as the church of abomination or the church of the devil. Again, Modern Mormons would probably not teach that or believe that, but their historical teachings, this is what they taught. Okay, number eight, life after death. Christians believe that there's life after physical death for everyone. When those who are saved by faith in Christ die, they depart, Philippians 1.23, to be with Christ. They eventually dwell with God in the new heaven and then new earth and new Jerusalem. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says they'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated. If you're not a believer, you are thrown into hell, which is a lake of fire. And that is what we believe as Christians for the afterlife. There's heaven and there's hell. That's the basic sense of the afterlife or life after death. Mormons hold to a view of both. Again, everything that they teach is confusing, but I'm going to make it as simple as I can. A view of both eternal damnation and eternal life. Their view is distinct from the Christian view in this. A person will suffer eternal damnation and essentially forfeit by his misdeeds and unfaithfulness the benefits of eternal life. So they're not allowed to progress. If you are like, let's say you're a bad Mormon, you are no longer allowed to progress the eternal progression to become your own God. Instead, you attain what they call a, a kingdom of glory, but Christ and God are not at that kingdom of glory. So you kind of are in another place, you're stopped from progressing, but now you're in that kingdom of glory. And those who attain eternal life are eligible for eternal progression. So if you attain eternal life, you can progress into a God or the next step up whatever that's an angel, demon, whatever they believe, or if you don't qualify for eternal life, then you get attain a kingdom of glory. God's not there. Christ isn't there. It's like a, another heaven. And then again, the eternal progression is the process of over time becoming a God. And just as God, the father progressed to become God, they also themselves will eventually attain deity. So one day they will be God, just like, you know, God, they believe the father was a human and now has become a God. Number nine, humans. Christians believe that man is made in the image of God. Each person is part of God's design and his life existence begins at conception. Mormons believe that every person had a pre-mortal existence, meaning you existed before you were a mortal human. They also believe that people are spiritually born on a planet near Kalab. I'm probably saying that wrong. And the great star, okay? I know I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make any jokes. I'm not going to be rude, but Mormons teach and their doctrine believes that everybody was spiritually born on a planet near Kalab, the great star. So we were all born before 
pre-mortal on the great star and we all ended up at earth and now we are all humans here number 10 and last difference is mormons or we'll talk about the bible christians believe that the bible is the sole infallible authority for life and faith okay we're we believe the bible is god's word mormons while they do believe that the bible is part of scripture a canon of scripture they add to it many other mormon books and works like the book of mormon the doctrines of the covenant the pearl of great price and all of these books should be interpreted together and from these books together which who do you think is writing these books joseph smith these together can now be the true teachings of god that can be made clear mormons also hold the infallibility of sitting president of the church at least when acting as official teachings in prophetic capacity so the president of the mormon church is pretty much considered infallible infallible he cannot make mistakes he can't be wrong he's a leader but i want you to think about this okay as we wrap up mormons and we go into islam mormons be believe joseph smith believed the christians were wrong there's too many denominations i'm going to start my own thing and he starts his own thing an angel comes to him gives him tablets he transcribes them from gemstones from the ephod that he finds he transcribes them starts his own false religion adds a whole bunch of doctrines and books and says that's the true religion so the whole premise of the start of mormonism or the lds church is confusion is deception and is five or six other books okay some other falsehoods of mormon teaching i want to add is that god the father has a physical body this is dnc 130 verse 22 says the father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man thus thus man is made in the image of the body of god that's moses 6 9 and also dnc 130 chapter 130 verse 22 this is in contrast of what the bible says in john 4 24 god is spirit so the mormons teach god is physical he has body of flesh and bones and he's tangible as man and the the we teach that god is spirit okay also another error in mormons i just want to add here is there's no original sin the article of faith 2 says we believe that men will be punished for their own sins not adam's transgressions and again this is in contrast to romans 5 which says death came to all men through one man's sin so again that's another thing and then lastly i want to add to this humans have the potential to achieve godhood if they follow mormon teachings in his king follett speech joseph smith jr said here then is eternal life to know the only wise and true god and you have got to learn to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to god and same as all gods have done before you so they believe you're going to become god you're going to be like god man this is such a deception of satan look at the garden you could be like god if you eat the fruit this is literally what the mormons teach you can be like god just like all the gods have done before you uh, so the question is we've gone 30 minutes on the church of the lds church and how it is a cult and it is false and again at the end i'll tell you why the christianity is the true religion the question is are mormons christians and according to scripture there's no way you can identify mormons as christians mormons will say they are christian we believe in christ we are christians too but they will add all these things to the teachings. They teach unbiblical things, things that make absolutely no sense and things that are completely false. It is a false teaching. Okay, number two, we are going into Islam. And I know guys, I'm gonna tread lightly here. I'm not gonna do radical Islam. Again, I don't wanna get the video taken down or flagged, but let's talk about Islam. I know YouTube has a, a very big Islamic community, so I'm already expecting them to be in the chat, in the comments. Let's go into Islam. For those who are confused about Islam, Islam is the religion and Muslims are the follower of that religion. So some of you are like, what's the difference between Muslims and Islam? Islam's the religion. 
and Muslims are the followers. So if you are following Islam or you're, you know, you believe in the religion of Islam, then you're considered a Muslim. There's a lot of confusion between that. Again, there's some very graphic things that the Quran teaches that I won't go into for the sake of getting my video taken down and losing this entire thing. But I just want you guys to know, I'm going to give you the history of Islam. Islam began Saudi Arabia in the seventh century under the teachings of Muhammad, who Muslims believe who is God's final prophet. The name of the religion is Islam and the people who followed are Muslims. The Muslims God is Allah. So I, I already touched on that. I had that there in my notes. Muhammad claimed that a supernatural being, here we go again. You're going to see a theme here tonight. A supernatural being visited him in a cave while he was meditating and the supernatural be being told him to read. But Muhammad told the spirit being he couldn't read, yet two more times he told Muhammad to read. Finally, he told Muhammad to recite and gave some verses to memorize. So Muhammad's in a cave. The, the supernatural being is telling Muhammad to read. Muhammad says, I can't read. And he gives him some verses to memorize. When his first encounter was over, Muhammad thought he'd been visited by a demon and became depressed and suicidal. But his wife and her cousin convinced him he'd been visited by the angel Gabriel and he was a prophet. Muhammad continued to have these visitations throughout his lifetime. Three years later, Muhammad began preaching in the city of Mecca and there was no God but that there was no God but Allah. Most people in Mecca who worship idols and multiple gods scoffed at his message, but he gathered a few disciples, some of whom were persecuted. In 622, Muhammad and his followers moved to Medina, which had a large Jewish population and were more receptive to monotheism, which is the belief in one God. This journey is called Hijra, which I can't say none of these properly. I apologize to all you Muslims that I'm pronouncing these wrong. After seven years in Medina, Muhammad's followers had grown and they were strong enough to return and conquer Mecca, where Muhammad preached in Mecca until he died, which is in 632. Islam spread rapidly after Muhammad's death and his disciples grew increasingly powerful with successful military conquests through most of the Middle East, North Africa, and parts of Asia and Southern Europe. They, the people conquered by the Islams had a choice. This was the choice while Islam was conquering these lands. Convert to Islam or pay a large fee. If they couldn't pay the fee, they would become slaves or be executed. This is, you can go on Wikipedia and find all this information, guys. I'm not giving you anything off of left field. Islam became the dominant religion of most of the Middle East and North Africa. The Quran teaches, some say the Quran, Quran, I'll just call it that, teaches that Muhammad was a man, not God, that he was God's last prophet, thus he had the final say on theology, and Muhammad's revelations conflicted the Bible, so Muslims say the Bible was corrupted and changed over time. If you've ever watched any Muslims debate, they will always say the Bible is corrupted, the Bible's been changed, the Bible is not the word of God, the, the Quran is the true word of God. Muhammad died a natural death, and I'm just going to say this, and stayed dead, okay? Let me say that one more time. Muhammad, the, their prophet, their Jesus, in essence, died a natural death and stayed dead. He did not rise from the dead. Muslims believe that he will be the first to rise from the dead on the day of judgment. So the Muslims are still waiting for Muhammad to rise from the dead on the day of judgment. And I just want to say something here. He's not going to rise from the dead because he's not God. Muslims believe Muhammad never willfully sinned, but did make unintentional mistakes. The Quran teaches that Muhammad was God's messenger, but not the Messiah, not the Savior. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God. He always existed. He is a creator, Hebrews 1.10. The Trinity is one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to repeat myself on this because I'm going to talk about what Christians teach and what Muslims teach. John 1, 1 through 3, John 10, 30, John 14, 9 through 11, John 15, 5, John 16, 13. John 17, 21, Jesus existed as God, emptied himself and became a man and died on the cross. Then God, 
highly exalted him. That's Philippians 2, 5-3. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And after he died to purify us from our sins and rose from the dead, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Population of Christianity versus Islam. Christianity, 2.38 billion people claim to be Christians. Well, that's awesome. Many of them obviously aren't according to the Bible, but they claim to be. It's about one in four people claim Christianity. Islam, listen to this, almost 2 billion followers, making it the world's second largest religion. This is not some pocket out in the middle of nowhere that believes a false doctrine. This is why I'm saying I'm going to have heavy, heavy, heavy pushback on this video. This is 2 billion people that believe this and that follow this false religion. The doctrine of Islam, this is straight from them. I'm going to give you their own doctrine. Doctrine, uh, they have six articles of faith according to Muslims. This is number one, belief in one Allah, which is Muslims believe Allah is one eternal creator and sovereign. Number two, belief in the angels. Number three, belief in the prophets. The prophets include the biblical prophets, but end with Muhammad as Allah's final prophet. Number four, belief in revelations of Allah. Muslims accept certain portions of the Bible, such as the Torah and the gospels, but they believe that the Quran is the preexistent perfect word of Allah. So they do accept parts of the Bible, of course, not the full Bible, especially anything that, that contradicts the Quran, but they also accept the Torah and the Gospels, but again, they believe that the Quran is the perfect word of Allah. Number five, belief in the last day judgment and hereafter, everyone will be resurrected for judgment into either paradise or into hell. Number six, belief in predestination. Muslims believe Allah has decreed everything that will happen. Muslims testify to Allah's sovereignty with their frequent phrase, inshallah, meaning if God's will. So inshallah, I don't, I'm saying that totally wrong, means if God wills. And so they'll say that a lot. Now here's, that was the, that was basically the doctrines of their faith. I want to give you the five pillars of Islam. So these five tenets compose the framework of obedience to Muslims. Number one is a testimony of faith with this, which is the Shahada. And this means there's no deity, but Allah Muhammad is a messenger of Allah. So that is the testimony. That's their good news. That's what they preach. They preach there's no deity but Allah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and that is Shahada, okay? A person can convert to Islam by stating that creed. So if you state that, you can convert. The, the Shahada shows that a Muslim believes in Allah alone as deity and believes that Muhammad reveals Allah. Number two is prayer. That's Salat. They believe they have five ritual prayers that must be performed every single day. Number three is Zakat, which is giving. This is giving a certain percentage once a year. So once a year, a certain percentage needs to be given. Number four is Psalm, which is fasting. Muslims fast during Ramadan in the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, and they must not eat or drink from dawn until sunset. Number five is the pilgrimage, which is the Hajj. It's physically, if physically and financially possible, a Muslim must make the pilgrimage to Mecca and Saudi Arabia once a year. The Hajj is performed in the 12th month of the Islamic calendar. So Muslims believe that paradise can be earned through keeping the five pillars. The Bible, in contrast, teaches that men can never be saved by themselves, but we need Jesus Christ's blood, Jesus Christ's atonement, and we must repent and believe in Jesus. So let's go different in views. We won't go super, super long. Difference in views, again, if I repeat myself, I'm trying not to. I'm trying to have make sure everything's not the same, but we're going to go through difference what Christians believe, what Muslims believe. So number one is on sin. Because of Christians, what we believe is because of Adam's sin, all people are sinners. We cannot earn God's favor. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ, fully righteous, fully holy, takes our place on the cross, bearing the sins of the entire world, taking sin's punishment and curse. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering from our sins. And when we believe in Jesus, the spirit of God comes and lives in us and gives us the power to resist sin. That's what we believe on sin. 
Islam's view of sin is disobeying Allah's command. They believe Allah's mercy is great and he will overlook many unintentional minor sins if people avoid major sins. Allah forgives any sin of a Muslim only, of course, if the person repents and asks Allah for forgiveness. Okay, so that's number one sin. Number two is the message. Christianity's message is the good news of Jesus Christ. The central message of Christianity is the forgiveness of sins and having relationship with God, which is found in only Jesus alone on his basis of death and resurrection. As Christians, our purpose in life is to share the gospel and tell people that they can be reconciled back to God through faith. This is God's desire. If you look at Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. That is our heavenly calling. That's the message of Christians. The message of Islam is that the Quran is God's final revelation to mankind. And their central purpose is to restore mankind back to what they consider to be the only true revelation and to be accepting them and to be accepting the Muslim's faith. Everybody must accept Muslim's faith and become what the Quran teaches. Their goal is to bring all the world into Islam, which will usher in God's kingdom on the earth. Okay, so Islam is about global takeover, making the entire world Islamic. If you look in some very extreme areas where Sharia law is, and again, I can't talk about the graphic side of Islam because the video will get instantly taken down. But if you look at some of the graphic things they do, that's to make the world become what the Quran teaches and what they believe it should look like so that obviously God will come back and will usher in God's kingdom on the earth. Um, Jesus Christ, number three, the difference between what they, we believe and what we believe. We believe that the Bible teaches Jesus is God. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things came into being through him and the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. Muslims think Jesus is not the son of God. They think it's contradictory to have a father and son be the same person and thus they can't believe in the Trinity and they also believe in only one God. Jesus is a prophet is what they teach. Jesus is not God. So they deny the divinity of Christ. Number four, resurrection. Christians believe without resurrection, there's no Christianity. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Um, it, whoever believe, lives in me or whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus rose back to life, both body and spirit. So we could as well. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that Christ and we know, and I'm going to show you later that Christ historically rose from the dead. He's the only person in history to verifiably have risen from the dead. Allah, I mean, uh, Muhammad did not rise from the dead. All, Muhammad will not rise from the dead. Muslims do not believe Jesus was really crucified, but that someone who resembled Jesus was crucified. Muslims also believe someone else died in Jesus's place. Muslims do believe Jesus ascended into heaven. The Quran says that God took Jesus up to himself. So they do believe Jesus ascended as a prophet, but again, not God. We believe God is fully divine. I'm sorry. We believe Jesus is fully divine and is God. Okay, number five, books. Christianity, scripture is the Bible. That's what we teach. Containing the Old and New Testament, the Bible is God-breathed or inspired by God and the only authority for our belief and practice. Islam, scripture is the Quran, Quran, whatever, however you call it, it's pronounced 10 different ways. This believed by Muslims to be the final revelation from God since Muhammad could not read or write, which I'm just going to say, if you're following a religion where your founder can't read or write and you're following a book that, anyways, that's a whole other story. He would remember what the spirit being who was the angel who was said to be the angel Gabriel told him and his followers would memorize it or write it down. The full Quran was written after Muhammad died based on his disciples memory and portions they had previously written down. So for all the Muslims in the chat that say, oh, your guys's book is, you know, written by men. There's no way the Holy Spirit. It's all full error. 
you guys believe, number one, your book was written after Muhammad died, and you guys believe that these disciples' memory and portions that were written down before were all conglomerated together to make this holy book. So again, there's such a double standard when it comes to Muslims versus Christians. Islam does accept the Bible as a holy book, but when the Quran contradicts it, they side with the Quran. Okay, number six, views on God. Christianity, God is perfectly holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, present everywhere. God is uncreated, self-existing, and the creator of all things. There is only one God, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 1 Timothy 2, 6. But God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Luke 1, 35, Matthew 28, 19, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. God desires intimate relationship with us. Okay, this is the this is Christianity view on God. And God's great love, he sends his son Jesus to die so that we can have relationship back with God. That's John 3, 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. Islam, Muslims strongly believe in one God, and that's Islam's chief concept. They believe Allah created all things, is all-powerful and exalted above all created things. God is the only one being worthy of worship, and all creation must submit to Allah. Muslims believe Allah is loving and merciful, even though that's not what the Quran teaches. Muslims believe they can pray directly to Allah, but they don't have the concept of personal relationship with God. Allah is not their father. He's a God to be served or worshiped. So that personal connection Christians have with, with Jesus, with the Father, they don't have that. Number seven, we're almost done, and then we're going to go into Jehovah's Witness, then we're going to go to seven reasons why Christianity is the true religion. The afterlife. Christianity, the Bible teaches when a Christian dies, his or her spirit is immediately with God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 6. Unbelievers go to hell, which is a place of torment and flames. Luke 16, 19. When Christ returns, all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Matthew 16, 27. The dead whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be thrown in the lake of fire. That's Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Muslims believe Allah will weigh sins against good deeds on the day of judgment if the sins outweigh the virtuous deeds the person will be punished okay into hell which is jahannam is a punishment for unbelievers and anyone not a muslim and for muslims who commit major sins without repentance and confession most muslims believe that sinful muslims will go to hell for a while to be punished for their sins but later will go to paradise similar to how catholics believe in purgatory it's a similar idea that they're going to be there and then they're going to be you know sent to paradise number eight the last one here is prayer christians have relationship with god which involves daily prayer prayer prayers of worship and praise confession repentance petitions for ourselves and others we pray in the name of jesus because jesus is the mediator mediator between god and people first timothy 2 5 islam prayer is one of the five pillars of islam and must be offered five times a day men are required to pay with pray with other men in the mosque on fridays but ideally on other days as well women can pray in the mosque in a separate room or at home and the prayer should follow a certain ritual of bowing actions and recitations of prayers from the quran now here's the good news okay those are the eight differences why islam is false here's the good news the good news is an estimated 50,000 muslims a year are turning to jesus and becoming christians many in dreams and visions the, yes there is a revival in the middle east of muslims turning to christ having dreams of jesus encountering jesus if you're getting kicked out of youtube right now just come right back in okay we just lost 700 people it'll be fine come right back in reload the page we're going to keep going strong here so there's a massive revival happening in muslim communities and i pray that every one of my uh every single muslim follower every muslim in here will turn to jesus the true god the only one verifiably that rose from the dead jehovah's witness let's go this one quick here 
The Jehovah's Witness began with Charles Russell in the late 1800s. In 1869, Russell began publishing his magazine, Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence. And a few years later, the Zion Watchtower Society was organized. Many of the early milestones of the Jehovah's Witness Church centered around end-time predictions that were both made that failed to come to pass. So the, the very basis of Jehovah's Witness or the Watchtower Society, which if that doesn't sound like a cult to you, I don't know what does, they failed to come to pass. Like, for example, in 1920, the Watchtower Tract Society predicted the earthly resurrection of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They said this will occur in 1925. Well, guess what? 1925 came around and there was no Abraham, no Isaac, and no Jacob. The followers of the Watchtower Society adopted the name Jehovah's Witness in 1931. Again, their whole thing was founded by Charles Russell. It was all about prophecy and predictions and their predictions did not come to pass. And again, this will be my first series. I will be covering a lot of other cults as we go. Um, let's go through what they believe like we did with Islam, like we did with Christianity, what they believe or like we did with Mormons, what they believe versus what we believe. So the deity of Christ, we affirm the deity of Christ. I've said it earlier. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. John 1 14, the son of God was truly man while also being truly God. Jehovah witnesses believe on the other hand, they deny the deity of Christ. They believe that Jesus can be called a deity or a God lowercase, but only in the sense that an angel can thus be called a God or a deity. They affirm that the deity of God, the father and specifically deny the deity of Jesus Christ. So that's there. The Jehovah's witness do not believe in the deity of Jesus. They say you can call him a lowercase God, just like you can call an angel a God. Jehovah witnesses believe and teach that Jesus Christ is the incarnate name of Michael, the archangel. Let me say that again. For those of you that didn't catch that Jehovah's witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is the incarnate name of Michael, the archangel. They believe that Michael was the first angel ever created by God, the father and is second in command in God's organization. And again, Jesus Christ is the incarnate name of him. Number two, what is the Holy Spirit? The Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God. It's part of the triune Godhead. We said that earlier a bunch of times. The Holy Spirit speaks acts 13 2. he hears and guides john 16 13 and you can grieve him isaiah 63 10 so on and so forth the holy spirit has many attributes jehovah's witness deny the holy spirit is a person and they often refer to him as an inanimate pronoun and they call him it they believe the holy spirit is an impersonal force that god uses to accomplish his will so their thought on the holy spirit is a like a force a power an it they call him that god uses but the holy spirit they don't believe is a person which of course the bible teaches the holy spirit is a person has a personality number three the trinity christians believe again that god is triune the father the son and the holy spirit jehovah witnesses they see this as gross error they believe the trinity is a three-headed false god that was invented by the devil to deceive christians as stated already they deny the full deity of christ with the de deity and the personality of the holy spirit so they do not believe the holy spirit is deity and they don't believe that christ is deity number four salvation Christians believe that salvation is by grace through faith and based entirely on the work of Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Galatians 2, 16, Philippians 3, 9, Romans 5, 1. Jehovah Witnesses believe in a very complex, work-oriented, two-class system of salvation. Most Jehovah Witnesses strive to enter into the what they call, and I quote this, new order or the reward of eternal life. And they fear they're going to fall short in their view only 144,000 will enter the higher, highest level of paradise. Again, false doctrine. Number five, atonement. Christians believe salvation is only possible through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Jesus stood in our place. We've talked about this extensively tonight. Jehovah Witnesses do emphasize the atonement of Christ. 
And on the surface, many of the statements they make about atonement would sound similar to what we would say. Here's the main difference. The main difference is connected with the lower view of Jesus being espoused by the Jehovah Witnesses. They insist on a parity between the first Adam and his sin and the second Adam and his sacrifice. Since it was a man who plunged the human condition into ruin, it's also a man who would ransom mankind from that ruin. Again, they deny the deity of Jesus. The punishments must fit the crime. They insist it is a man's sacrifice that is required in the place of men. If Jesus Christ were God, there would be no parity in the atonement. So that's all a complicated way of saying they believe Jesus is a man. He atoned for the sin of Adam, which Adam being a man. But if God died in our place, it would be a parity in the atonement. That's what they believe. So these arguments, again, have no grounds in scripture. They're anti-scriptural. Number six, resurrection. Christians affirm in a biblical description and apologetic of the resurrection, Jesus rose on the third day. Okay, undeniable. And Jehovah's Witnesses see things different in this regard. The Watchtower insists that the God that God disposed of Jesus' body, not allowing it to see corruption and thus preventing it from being a stumbling block to the faith. That's the Watchtower, November 15th, 1991, on page 31. They literally, I quote them, okay, God disposed of Jesus' body not allowing to see corruption, thus preventing it from becoming a stumbling block to faith. So God did not rise Jesus from the dead. God hid Jesus's body, disposed of it. And that is the Watchtower, um, November 15th, 1991, in page 31. They explicitly deny that Jesus was raised in the flesh and believe that all statements to that are unscriptural. You can look at Studies and Scriptures, Volume 7, page 57. The Watchtower teaches that Jesus passed out of existence at death and that God disposed of his body. And then on the third day, God created him once again as the archangel Michael. So Jesus dies. God, oh man, this is so blasphemy. God disposes of his body. And on the third day, God raises up the archangel Michael as Jesus. Okay, number seven, the church. Christians believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ makes up the true universal church and a group of believers we come together and worship. We said that earlier. The Watchtower insists that exclusively is the one true church. All other churches are imposters from Satan. And as proof, Jehovah Witnesses point to many different denominations in Christ, Christendom. Okay, number eight on hell. Biblical Christianity affirms the existence of hell as eternal punishment for all sins that are done outside of grace in Christ. It's the punishment of just sin, Luke 12. One, four through five jehovah witnesses they reject the idea of hell um, they insist that a soul phases out of existence this is called annihilationism basically they believe that your soul ceases to exist when you die there is no hell number nine the soul christians hold that a person is both body and soul jehovah witnesses insist there's no difference between body and soul in scripture and that there's no in immaterial part of a man that survives physical death so there's no like part of you that survives death there's no immaterial part Number 10, the last one here we'll go into Bible differences. There's many Bible translations we believe you can choose from in the English language, and Christians prefer many different ones, such as the New American Standard, the New King James, the King James, New International, the uh, New Living Translation, English Standard, so on, as long as they stay truth to the text. The Jehovah Witness insists there's only one translation that's faithful to the Word of God, and that is, or, or um, I'm sorry, there's one translation true of the Word of God, and that's the New World Translation that's published in 1950, and it's translated into over 150 languages. The translation is full, and I'm going to tell you about this. The translation is full of alternate readings that have no textual warrant in either Greek or Hebrew, and near of all of these are made up to support the views of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So they have their own version of the Bible that they added a bunch of stuff to to support their views. 
So one example is Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God becomes God's active force. This supports their view that the Holy Spirit is an inanimate force. Okay, so literally Genesis 1-2 in their Bible says the Spirit of God becomes an active force. Notoriously, the word was God in John 1 becomes the word was God. So this supports their denial of Christ's deity. So when they don't want to, they don't want to believe in the deity of Christ, they change the Bible. When they don't want to believe in the Holy Spirit, they change the wording. And that's their own translation to support their unorthodox views. So the question we're going to answer, and then we're jumping into seven reasons why Christianity is the true religion. Very, very simple here tonight. Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians? Go ahead and type in the chat. Yes or no? Are they Christians? Yes or no? And the answer is no. Okay. I'm going to tell you why. They denied the gospel of grace alone through faith apart from works. They deny justification by faith. They deny the nature of Christ and the atonement. They deny the resurrection. They deny that the Holy Spirit is God. They deny a bunch of other core doctrines. So we can't conclude them as Christians. They are false doctrine. They are a cult. Again, they're called the Watchtower Society started by a man. When you see things started by a man that didn't rise from the dead and isn't God, then you should run from that. Whether it's Mormons by Joseph Smith, whether it's Islam by Muhammad, or whether it is Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? Now, I know what you're asking. You're in the chat, you're here. You know, a bunch of you were spamming earlier that you're here, you're Muslims, we love you, we appreciate you. What makes Christianity the only true religion? Now, one of these reasons I'm gonna give you, I have listened to every debate, not every debate on YouTube, but most on YouTube on how do you prove Christianity? They debate atheists and they never give what num reason number one I'm going to give. I don't know why we never give this reason, but let's give it seven reasons. Write these down. What makes Christianity the only true religion? Maybe you're a Mormon in the broadcast. Maybe you're a Muslim or maybe you are Jehovah's Witness. And now you're watching saying, okay, Isaiah, you just spent the last hour tearing down our religion, telling us why we're false, why we're not true. What makes you a Christian? And remember, I want to just remind those of you that, know, that don't know this. I was an atheist. 12 years ago, I was an atheist. I looked up to heaven and said, God, I don't effing believe in you. I cursed at God. An audible voice spoke to me. God changed me, delivered me. The Holy Spirit filled me. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I read the Bible and God radically transformed my life. And I have seen God move in thousands of lives. I've seen thousands of miracles. Thousands of people get delivered and come to the faith and become Christian. And so I've been in the Christian world for 12 years. I preached in about 500 churches and traveled in about 35 plus states, preaching in ch churches all over America. I was, I didn't go, hmm, which one sounds the best? I didn't look around and say, maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try that. God came to me, changed my life. And the Bible, the true word of God transformed my life and like really transformed my life and God validated himself. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just, I guess I'll think about it and believe. Seven reasons. Reason number one, why Christianity is the only true religion, write this down, is the miracles. Okay, this is never talked about. Miracles make Christianity true. The miracles God performs confirm the truth of our doctrine. These miracles bear witness to the divine nature of God. Okay, whether that's raising the dead, whether that's splitting the sea, the sun standing still, or the miracles we see today. Blind eyes opening. I have seen blind eyes open. I have seen family members that were deaf get their hearing back, like medically confirmed. I've seen God move. I've seen people that had a, still, a baby dead in the womb with no heartbeat, the baby come back to life. I've seen 
thousands of demons being cast out. These are all miracles. Look at this. I'm going to show you this. John 10, 38. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of, this is Jesus speaking, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. Even if you don't believe me, then you'll know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So if you pray in Allah's name, nobody gets healed. Nobody gets delivered. If you pray in Muhammad's name, nobody gets delivered. Nobody gets healed. If you pray in Joseph Smith's name, nothing is going to happen. There's no supernatural miracle power. But there are over uh, a scholar named Craig Keener compiled an encyclopedia about this thick that there's over 2 million in his book. He documents over two. There's over 2 million medically verifiable miracles worldwide over 2 million medically verified miracles so it's undeniable that we serve the god of miracles islam does not serve a god of miracles uh mormons do not serve a god of miracles jehovah's witnesses do not serve a god of miracles miracles are reason number one number two okay if you don't believe that it's okay number two historical prophecies coming to pass and this is not an in-depth exhaustive list it's a short list to give you guys just an idea historical prophecies the bible has countless complex prophecies that came to pass hundreds of years after being written verifiably okay so both the old and new testament prophecies like daniel prophesied the fall and rise of world empires and was fulfilled in detail over several hundred years so daniel writes his prophecies down okay it's verified that's the year that those prophecies were written 500 years later Daniel's prophecies come to pass. How is Daniel writing prophecies if it's false, if it's not true, if God is not truly speaking, the word of God is not true? So historical prophecy is number two coming to pass. Uh, Jesus also feel, fulfilled a ton of highly specific prophecies, things that were written down or prophesied over a thousand years before Jesus' life. A thousand years earlier, prophecies were written about Jesus, and then Jesus comes and fulfills those prophecies. How would those guys who are dead, they've been dead a thousand years, be able to prophesy Jesus if the Bible is not the truth? Number three, I love this, archaeological evidence, okay? History and archaeological evidence overwhelmingly support the Bible record. The list of people, places, and events of the Bible have been verified by archaeology in modern times. It's nothing short of staggering the amount of archaeological discoveries that verify the bible being the true word of god again no other religious book there's no verifying of the quran there's no verifying of the book of mormon no other religious books even come close to the bible on its scientific and historical accuracy or the immense number of fulfilled prophecies it contains number four personal testimony you cannot discredit the millions of people that were radically changed let me give you me for example okay I'm addicted to drinking. I'm drinking almost every day. I'm partying. I'm sleeping around. I'm looking at women. I'm doing everything bad, okay? My, you know, my mom and dad are watching here. I'm doing everything bad. I'm addicted. I'm hard-hearted. I'm bitter. I didn't cry for 10 years. I'm racist. I'm angry. I'm I'm a bad person, okay? And the outside, everything looks fine. On the inside, I'm, I'm corrupt. I'm evil. God changes me. In one second, I'm born again. I become a new species. I no longer check out girls. I no longer am lusting. I'm no longer, no desire to drink, no desire to watch pornography. I'm now crying. My heart of stone's a heart of flesh. I'm compassionate. I'm loving. I'm no longer angry. I'm no longer bitter. I'm no longer racist. Forget all the other arguments. Oh, Christianity, forget all that. What was it that changed my life? That's my personal testimony. So no Muslim can come and say, oh, your God's fake. When my God, the God, Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, 
radically changed my life. These are not testimonies you hear in Islam. What you do hear is, oh, I was, you know, lost and searching and I found this religion to follow. What you do hear is Muslims who still struggle with everything. What you do hear is M Mormons trying to be good people. And I grew up with some of my good friends who were Mormons trying to be good people, but still living like everybody else. There's no, oh man, I feel this tonight. There's no transforming power in Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no transforming power in Mormonism. There's no transforming power in Islam. So it lacks that transforming personal power where God comes and radically changes our life. You don't see that in any other religion at all. We, in all the other religions, you gotta try harder. You gotta do better. But in Christianity, God's spirit comes and you become a new creature, literally a new species. All right, number five. The real existence of Christ. Let me say that again. Number five, the real existence of Christ. And some of you need to type these in the chat to help people that are missing some of this. Jesus was historically a real verifiable person that died in rose. I'm going to show you this. Look at this. Now, this was written in 94 AD. The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who is not a Christian, wrote this. Are you guys ready? At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus and his conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die and those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported, okay, this is historical here. This is Josephus in 93, 94 AD. They reported that he appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and Josephus is not a Christian and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders and antiquities of the Jews. That's where this is coming from. So Josephus says, tells the historical context. Now Josephus is recognized as a real person. Okay, his writings are true. And he's writing, these are writings they found about Jesus who's died and was cited as being seen by his followers. I missed number four. Number four was personal testimony. I got you. Okay, so Josephus declares Jesus was real. Now, unlike Islam, Mormonism, or Jehovah's Witness, we don't believe in one person's revelation, but many eyewitness accounts. John 1.1, first John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What is the Bible saying? We really saw this stuff. This is verifiable. Jesus was a real person. You can still go and see where he walked, where he performed miracles. It's all there. Now you show me where all the other stuff, Jehovah, you show me where Joseph Smith's golden tablets are. Conveniently, Joseph Smith gave his tablets back to the angel. Uh, well, I forgot his name, his name was, but conveniently the tablets are gone. There's no physical, tangible evidence of what they claim or what they teach and in this history they made jesus was verifiably real i even learned this in secular college let me just say this okay i don't know if you know this this is going to blow some of your minds maybe you know this maybe you don't okay it is september 12th 2022 do you know what 2022 means like the entire world calendar if jesus wasn't real tell me this recognizes somebody type in the chat what is 2022 why do we count 2022? What happened 2022 years ago? Type it in the chat here. Maroney, okay. 2022, the whole world recognizes this. All of your secular philosophers, psychologists, professors, 2022, what was it? AD, after Christ. Think about this. If Jesus wasn't real and he wasn't who he was, he says he was, 2022 was jesus dying and rising from the dead we literally count our calendar before christ which is bc and ad after christ 
The entire world recognizes this. I remember talking to my secular professor. I'm like, you do know the entire world recognizes Jesus's existence. And again, non-Christians will teach Jesus was a real man. He did the things he said he did. He did raise from the dead verifiably. There's so many eyewitnesses accounts of this. Okay, just maybe you didn't know that. You're like, whoa, see, everyone in the chat's like, I didn't even know that's what 2022 is. 2022 years ago, Jesus died and rose. That's a fact. So number five is the real existence of Christ. Number six is the authenticity of the Holy Bible. The, the Bible is true historically. Now, in spite of comments to the contrary, archaeology continually verifies and validates the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible is true, not just historically, but scientifically. Nothing, look at this. I love this. Nothing in scripture has been invalidated by science. Wow, that's powerful. Nothing in scripture has been invalidated by science. In fact, many scientific principles are found in the Bible. Let me show you this. The roundness of earth, Isaiah 40, 22. The infinite extent of the side real universe. The fact that the universe is side real, it is extending, opening like a curtain, which the Bible says. Scientists have discovered that and Isaiah 55, 9 already says that. The law of conservation of mass and energy, 2 Peter 3, 7. The hydraulic cycle, Ecclesiastes 1, 7. The vast number of stars, Jeremiah 23, 22. The equivalence of matter and energy, Hebrews 1, 3. The law of increasing entropy, Psalms 102, 25 through 27. Are you guys here? All of these things, the Bible points to that are scientific. The Bible proves. So the authenticity of the scripture. The Bible also answers major life's questions like, where did we come from? What is the nature of the divine? What is the nature of man? What is the answer to the human predicament? What happens after death? How do we explain evil? Guys, all of these deep questions that humanity wants to know, the Bible explains every single one of them, where we've come from. And, and then there's another proof. I just want to add a free bonus one. There's three main thoughts of how the world came into being. There's the evolution where we all evolve, you know, from matter, fish, then monkeys, all that, which is completely false. Never, ever, ever, no evidence, never been verified, never been proven by anybody. Then there's the Big Bang Theory where an explosion happened. Look, friend, if you were looking at a grocery store and you and someone told you, oh yeah, a big explosion happened and this grocery store appeared, you'd be an idiot to believe that a Big Bang happened and all of a sudden divine design, intelligent design. And then there's number three, that God, an intelligent designer, designed us. If you study biology, the human body, or you've been to college or school, or you've looked outside, you've looked outside and you see the animals, the trees, the plants, you know divine design. Somebody designed that. That did not come, just it didn't happen. Nothing in, in earth just happened. So just the same way your cell phone, you look at it and go, oh, somebody designed the camera. Somebody designed the processor. Somebody designed the LED screen. You don't ever look at something and go, that just happened. The same way you look at trees, the stars, the moon, the human body, the most complex thing ever created in history. The human body is absolutely incredible. That did not just happen. You'd be, if you believe it just happened, then you are a monkey. I'm, I'm literally, you're, you're as dumb as a monkey if you believe that we evolved randomly from a monkey or you maybe you are then. Because if you believe that we randomly evolved from a monkey or a big bang happened and things appeared, but the Bible teaches there's, there's a creator and when there is intelligent design, there must be a designer. So again, the Bible makes sense once again. And then lastly, number seven, and these are ones, again, you're not going to hear on the average argument of God's existence. Number seven is, 
the hatred of the devil himself. Let, let me, somebody type that in the chat. The hatred of the devil. So the seventh thing that proves Christianity is the truth is the devil hates Christianity. The devil does not hate Islam. The devil does not hate Mormonism. The real devil, there is a real devil. The devil does not hate Jehovah's Witness. The fact that the only thing the devil attacks and hates is Christians. Have you ever wondered why Christians are the only ones in, in media that are allowed to be made fun of? You don't even dare make fun of Islam. Don't even dare make fun of Catholics. Don't even dare make fun of Jehovah's Witness or make fun of Mormons. You will be canceled in a heartbeat. But guess what you can do? Make fun of Christians. You could put, you could have celebrity rappers in the biggest award shows ever get on a cross with a crown of thorns and mock Jesus and make fun of Christians and say all these bad, hateful things. Why? Because the devil is the lowercase God, lowercase G, the God of this world, who's functioning in his spirit, works in the sons of disobedience, and he's always attacking Christianity. There's a reason why every time we cast out demons, which by the way, no other religion does, Every time we cast out demons, the demons hate the name of Jesus and they hate the God of the Bible because it's true. The devil, mm, that's a good point. The devil's resistance to Christianity further proves that we are the only true religion. So let me give you these again for if you're just jumping in. Number one, miracles. These are the seven reasons why Christianity is the only true religion. Number one is miracles. Number two is historical prophecies coming to pass. Number three is archaeological evidence. Number four is personal testimony of those that have been changed by the power of God. Number five is the real existence of Christ. Real man, Josephus said, walk the earth. Number six, authenticity of the Bible. The Bible not only proved, science not only proves the Bible, but the Bible has scientific things before science even discovered it. So authenticity of the Holy Bible. Number seven, the hatred of the devil himself. The devil hates it. Those are the seven reasons why you can't go wrong with Christianity. It is the true religion. The power of God, the miracles testify to his existence. And now, and now we are going to pray. Because I believe God wants to change many of you. Maybe you're Muslim in this. Maybe you're Mormon. Maybe you've been deceived. Maybe you've been led astray. Maybe you are Jehovah's Witness. I just told you the origin of your religion. I just told you all the falsehoods of your religion that your religion teaches and the truth of the word of God. Father, I pray right now over every Muslim. I pray right now, God, over every Mormon. I pray right now over every Jehovah's Witness. I pray over every Catholic that's been led astray, Lord. I pray over every single person in the broadcast right now, Father, that you would touch their heart. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften their heart in Jesus' name. I pray over every atheist, God, that you would show them the way, that you would enlighten them. Just like I was an atheist, Father, you opened up my eyes. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would open up their eyes and that you would show them that this is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, give Muslims dreams. Give Muslims visions, encounter them, deliver them, Father. Every Mormon watching, I pray, Lord, you would deliver them. You would bring them to the truth. I pray, God, that you would expose this false doctrine, that you would open up their eyes to the truth of your word. Right now, in Jesus' name, I just pray, God, do what only you can do. Ignite a fire in them. Ignite passion in them. Ignite hunger in them, God. Give them dreams. Give, give them visions. Bring somebody right now around them that can just declare the word of God to them. Bring boldness, Lord, somebody that's bold to them. Bring a bold preacher to them, God. Bring them around the right people. I pray revival in Islam, in the Islamic communities. I pray revival in the Mormon communities, Lord. I pray revival in the Jehovah Witnesses community. God, deliver them from this deception. Break this deception. And tonight, God, we choose truth. We choose your word. 
In Jesus' name, God, do what only you can do tonight. Have your way, God. Touch these communities. Touch our families, Lord, that are in these, these cults. Touch our friends that are in these cults, these false religions, God. I pray that you would touch them right now. You would remove the anger off of them, the bitterness off of them, that you'd open up their heart and you'd enlighten their eyes. Tonight, God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Have your way. We pray, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. You guys need to repent. Listen, the, how do I get saved, Isaiah? You need to repent. Repent, turn from your ways, put your faith in Jesus, go get baptized at a church in your area, serve God, turn to God. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new species, a new creature. The old is passed away and behold, all things are made new. You can be born again right now in Jesus' name. You can be born again and all you need to do, put your faith in Jesus, say, Lord, I repent. Jesus, I turn to you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I'm not leading you in a prayer. The Jesus did not lead people in a prayer. The disciples did not say, oh, just repeat after me and invite Jesus in your heart. You need to, in your own words, say, Lord, I turn to you. I repent of my sin. I accept your free gift of salvation. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. Change me, Jesus. Come on, pray that right now. You don't believe it, then just pray it. Pray that right now. Repent and come to Jesus. Acts 2, it says, repent, repent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. So you, you must repent. You must turn to Jesus. You must put your eyes on the cross. Thank the Lord for what he's done for you because there's forgiveness and salvation for everyone watching that's wrapped up in these. There's healing, there's freedom, there's breakthrough, there's deliverance, there's miracle power. God wants to heal many of your bodies. If you're Muslim with sickness in this chat, Allah has not healed you, Muhammad has not healed you, but God wants to heal you tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We repent tonight, Father. We turn our eyes to you. We seek you now. And we want, to, we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, we repent. Yes, confession and repentance are different. Absolutely. We don't just confess, we repent. We turn from our ways. We turn from our wickedness. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, guys, praise the Lord. We are going to stay on here. We're not getting off yet. If you're listening on audio, you can give on our website, isaiahsaddle.com slash partner. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.